Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us again today. We've got another show lined up for you today that's amazing. Uh, Tony and I have been uh, doing this show several times through the years, but it's lots of new information, and it's really pertinent, especially this time of year. If you're thinking about a project to do this summer, we've got one for you. Yeah, absolutely. Projects keep coming back. We talk about that all the time. There are some things that are going to be done over and over and over, and maybe not always by the same people, but if we're talking about things to consider when building a shed today, and it doesn't, um, and it doesn't really make your ears tingle today. <laughs> Somebody else is going to appreciate it. But guess what? One year from now, when we're talking about the same thing again, you're thinking, you know, I do need a shed. It's just one of those things. We're going to talk today about things to consider when building a shed. We're going to use the word shed, uh, but that could be storage, shop, outbuilding. Uh, you know, you name it, giant dog house. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can call it. It gets used for many things. Chicken shack. Yeah. It gets used for storage and it gets used for getaway and it gets used for, um, you know, woodworking projects. Uh, it could be a potting, you know, a potting shed. There's lots of names, radio shows. Um, but, but there's a lot of things to consider. And one of those things, Corey, actually right at the very top of the list one of the very first things you need to determine is what are you going to use it for? What's its primary function going to be? And when you start to answer the questions about how this is going to serve you, what you're going to use it for, you're going to start to answer more questions. How big does it need to be? How far away from the house do I want it to be? Does it need to have power? Um, does it need to lock? Do I need more than one door? Do I need a door wider than a man door? Um, you know, there's a lot of things. There's so much stuff. Can I step up into it or does it need to be flush with the ground? We're going to talk about all of the stuff that you need to be considering if you're thinking about building a shed. Yeah. The least of which is whether or not the door is full height. I mean, I I see a lot of sheds that have been manufactured for you and you go out and buy them somewhere on a lot. And you look at it and it's kind of quaint and cute and it looks really like uh, something you'd like to have, uh, a nice addition to your backyard maybe. And then you walk into it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's only um, it's only five foot ten inside here. Mm. And if you're a six foot person or taller, that is not going to work. You will never yeah. want to spend a single moment in there. If it's not, if you can't stand up straight. Yeah. So anyways, that's just one of those things. Well, I always say, you know, everything starts with design, of course. Like you said, you need to determine what you're going to use it for. But once you've determined that, you need to determine how big you need to make it. Like you said, you go buy one from the store, you get what you get. Yeah, you don't get you to know, choose. 8 by 10 5 by 7 whatever they have, that's what you get. Well, if you're building it for yourself and you know all of the things that you want to put in it, that's what you have to think about. Are you storing things like a lawnmower, four-wheelers, 
you know, firewood? Are you going to put a lean-to on it? You know, you just have to think about that stuff. And what I always say, go bigger than you think. Because when you build a shed, especially if you have room for it, you know, obviously if you're going to build it as big as you possibly can without, you know, getting a permit, you know, that's one of the things about considering building a shed. But if you're just going to big it the biggest you can build it, well, that's that's the way it is. But, you know, I, I know a lot of people that want to just build a... Uh, you know, a four foot by eight foot shed, the size of a sheet of plywood. Well, that's pretty easy. What you could do is go buy a sheet of plywood, stick it on the floor in your garage and see what fits in it. Here's what I'm going to tell you about that. A four foot by eight foot shed is not big enough for anybody. A four foot by eight foot building is this is the size of a doghouse. <laughs> and if you think a doghouse well, is smaller than that, it's not. I mean, if you just have garden tools, sure. No. You know, if he's got some shovels and rakes, that'd probably be big enough. That's No, no, no. That's called a closet. That is a tool closet. Yeah, that's pretty small. The tool closet goes inside the shed. <laughs> that's not a shed. That's a tool closet. We're going to be talking about today something a little bit bigger. Um, but look, if I'm thinking about the smallest possible building that we're talking about, 8 by 10. 8 by 10, I think, is the smallest possible building. And I'm here to tell you right now, 8 by 10 is not very big. No, it's not. So if you're thinking 4 by 8, think again. Well, you know, again, just depends on what you're putting in it. And go bigger. (laughs) (laughs) But you definitely want to be able to stand up on the inside, in my opinion. In my opinion as well. So you know what? Instead of trying to do that, let's let's talk about the design, right? If, If you're going to make it a potting shed mm-hmm. and you're going to be in there and um, and potting your plants and and working with soil um do you need to be able to get a wheelbarrow in and out hmm good question i don't know and how wide is the wheelbarrow and will that fit inside of a standard size three foot door if it won't you're looking for something bigger you could get a door a regular hinged pre-hung frame door as wide as 42 inches but you're going to pay a premium for that mm-hmm and if you're going to do that, you're better off to do something like a pair of doors. Um, but knowing how wide your door needs to be uh, or whether or not you need more than one entrance or exit. Sometimes you're going to build a building that's going to be split. It's going to have a dual responsibility. One half of it's going to be one thing and the other half it's going to be something. And sometimes you maybe don't want those two worlds to collide. So a door on either side is a good idea and maybe even a door in the middle so the two could access. Yeah, when I built my shed, uh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a, a human door that you could access for whatever. And then on the end of my shed, I put a double door so that I could put my lawnmower through there, uh, you know, whatever, my wheelbarrow, whatever big item that I needed to get into my shed, I was able to do that on the end. But having a, a human door, man door on the front, made it nice to access without having to go through the double door on the end. Right. So. I was, I, when I built my shed, which is 16 by 20, I was also going to put in a man door, a, a human door, a body door, and also an overhead door because I wanted to be able to get anything big that I wanted to get in there. I wanted to be able to get in there. Um, but I also wanted to be able to use that human door, but you know what? I never even installed the human door. I put the six foot tall by Roll six up. foot wide overhead roll-up door and that's my only access and two windows 
It's more of a storage unit. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. Uh, it's not getting used that way now. I definitely have all of my um, my woodworking tools in there, and I use it as a shop now, uh, even though it's smaller. But um, but that's the thing. If if I would have known that a wood shop is what I was going to want to use that for later, I may have changed my design to begin with. But instead, I designed it as a storage shed. Yeah. Well, that leads me to the next thing in my design criteria is, are you running electricity to your shed? That you definitely have to consider that because if you're going to be using it as a shop like Tony, you're going to need electricity. You're going to need a dedicated electricity line, which means you're probably going to have to have an electrician come out. You're going to have to have it inspected. You're going to have to run the electricity somehow from your panel, which is probably somewhere in your house or in your garage. And you got to run that wire either underground or overhead. It just depends on your jurisdiction and what they do in that area. But you have to think about that. If you're putting a shed on your back 40, how are you going to run electricity there? It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, so I always, uh, I always want you, I want you to think about that before you build the darn thing. Right. Because you can, if you're just doing a shed, obviously you don't need electricity in it. But again, you have to just think about what you're using it for. If you don't put electricity, I recommend putting in windows or even skylights. If you put a skylight or a window in, that allows for nice light inside the shed, uh, even though it eats up wall space. Or if you use a skylight, they're a little more expensive and prone to leaking if you install them incorrectly, but uh, at least you'll have light inside of there. I want to make a comment about the windows. Windows don't have to be very big, and they do really work good for allowing light to come in, but... If you're gonna, when you decide to put windows in, you should be putting in an operable, at least one operable window, because you want to be able to get ventilation inside there. If you're working in there in the summer, it's warmer than you want it to be. If you're working in there in the winter, it's colder than you want it to be. So uh, you'll want to be able to get ventilation inside there, especially if you don't have a really good uh, vacuum or what do you call that, a suction system. Yeah, yeah, a uh, central, like a uh, dust collection. Collection, yeah, dust collection. If you don't have a dust collection system in there, open in windows. Because if you don't have windows that open, then you're having to operate with the with the overhead door or the door open. So, And if you got a window on an opposite wall from your door, give you a little cross ventilation. So think about, consider operable windows when you choose the windows you're going to put in there. They don't have to be big and they don't have to be expensive. Yeah, however... If you're concerned about security, that is something you need to consider as well. You know, if you're putting a shed that you're going to be putting expensive things into, maybe you don't want an operable window. You know, maybe you want some sort of different way to let light in. So it's just something to consider. Yep, something to consider. Uh, I'm personally a big advocate for windows or a skylight. I was going to put a skylight in my shed. But one thing to consider with skylights is you're limited on the roof pitch. So your your roof pitch has to be steep enough to accommodate for skylight and a skylight flashing kit. And if it's under that, you they, it, they don't recommend doing it because water will sit there and potentially leak. 
This brings me to another parameter that's important. When you're thinking about design of your shed, you have to be thinking about the maximum size that you can build or can fit on the property. Think about the maximum size you can build without a permit versus the maximum size you can build with a permit. If you're choosing to build your shed without a permit, then there is a maximum size it can be, and there's a maximum height. So that might help you make a decision about your roof pitch. If you have a, a, a very steep pitch on your roof of your home, it's common to match the pitch of your roof on your home with the pitch of the roof on your shed or shop. Right. But if you have so a steep pitch on the house and you're trying to hit a maximum or a minimum on the height of the shed, you might have to reduce the pitch of yeah, the roof. Yeah. So you touched on two things there. You touched on jurisdictional requirements, which is important. Right. Like that's you said, right. If, if you need permits, you don't want to build something without permits uh, and HOA. If you live in, in an area where they have CCNRs, you want to check with them, submit your plans, and get that done ahead of time, especially if you know that HOA is strict. Because I personally know people who have done things to their home in an HOA and have been sued and lost. Because when you sign your, that paper, when you buy that house, you're stuck. You know, you have to get it approved through the HOA or, or the CCNRs or whatever you have. So and the same thing goes with, you know, jurisdictional requirements. You've, you might have a neighbor who's behind you who says, you know what, I don't like that shed. Yep. And they call the city, the city's showing up in your in your backyard saying, where's your permit? Yep. And they can make you tear it down. So definitely something to consider. If you're, if you're unsure, you can always call your local jurisdiction and ask. Say, hey, I want to build a shed. What's the, what's the biggest shed I can build without pulling a permit? And what are those requirements? And they'll usually tell you, in my area, uh, it was a square footage. So I think it's 250 square feet in my area with a height maximum of 12 feet. So I designed my shed right. to fit well within that. So I didn't pull a permit. Right. Yeah, and that's, a, that's just a decision that you have to make. It's not a big deal, of course, to get a permit. Um, it's something you need a budget for. It's a little extra money. Of course, they have to approve of your design, and then they have to come out and inspect it after it's done. Usually those things, and they can be, you know, that can be something that you don't want to deal with, but that's a decision you get to make up front as long as you realize the mass maximum amount of size that you can build it to without pulling a permit. Totally. Uh, next thing on my list is choosing your site. You know, if you've got a piece of property and it's small and your shed will only fit in one spot, no big deal. It's just the way it is. But if you've got a, a bigger piece of property and you have to decide, and there's many places to put it, you know, you want to choose a side of your house or, or, or an area of your yard. Uh, in my opinion, you want to think about criminals. If you want to be a little more secure, you want to put it to where it's not easily accessible uh, for criminals to break into it and steal your stuff out of it. Another one is if you live on a piece of property that gets wet, you want to look at that in both seasons, winter, summer, fall, all the seasons. So that way when you're walking into your shed, you build it in the summertime and 
it's in a low spot. You don't know it till the winter time, and you're walking out there through the mud pit to get into your shed. That's no good. When choosing the site for your shed, you need to consider the electricity thing. You actually mentioned it earlier, something you need to consider. Do you want to have electricity out there? Well, this is when it becomes pretty important because the farther your shed is away from your home, the farther you have to dig and um, and prepare electrical. Here's another thing. You have to call before you dig, which means you've got to get locates out there. What obstacles are between your home and and the shed that you're going to have to work around. You got a sidewalk. I had to put power under my sidewalk. And, you know, that's no picnic. I'm here to tell you right now. Yeah. And so uh, you got to run under a sidewalk. You know, do you have a patio or anything in between that's going to be an issue? Or are you going to have to skirt around that, which is more digging, more trenching, more, you know, locating. So that's something to consider. If you're going to run power out there, how are you going to get it there? Where is it going to go? And, um, and don't forget to call before you dig. <laughs> totally. Uh, okay, let's move on to the types of different types of foundations. And you have to consider the foundation because, again, if you're going back to building a shed without a permit, sometimes a permit is required depending on if that is a permanent structure or not. And sometimes they, they say a permanent structure is a slab. And you might say, well, I want a shed with a slab. Well, if they, re- if they call that a permanent structure... Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a permit. So, not a big deal, but that's just something you have to consider. I actually really like the slab on grade uh, idea. That I feel like that construction is really good, especially for, um, for what I have at my house. I chose a wood-framed floor on post and beam because it was less expensive. And I knew I could do it myself, and I didn't. it didn't require somebody to come out and do that work, right? And so... Right. To save money and get it done more quickly, I decided I would go ahead and frame the floor and not pour concrete. Well, you know, something to consider when pouring a slab is the concrete. So if you're putting in an 8x10 or a 12x16 shed or something like that, a larger shed, and you're going to pour concrete slab with concrete footings for the perimeter for your walls, well, you got to think about the concrete truck. Concrete trucks aren't light and access. So you're going to have a pump truck come in and pay a pump truck to sky over your roof. Yeah. Uh, pump trucks aren't cheap. So that's just something to consider. Yeah. You know, the other thing is I've seen people do it where you mix bags. Oh, man. You do you know how many bags that is? Bags and bags and bags of concrete. You can that rent is a, a mixer. a lot of bags. It totally is. And it's doable. You just... You just got to know what you're getting yourself into. Well, let's just really just touch on that for one second. If you had decided you were going to pour your own concrete and you were to, and you build in the, um, you set up the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. You build in the, the footing, right? Mm-hmm. The frame of the concrete, the concrete frame. Got your gravel, your rebar, your right? remesh. Yep. That's right. And you're starting to mix concrete. Well, here's the thing. You're not going to stand there for eight hours or whatever, mixing them one bag at a time and pour that whole thing. It's going to probably have to be done in stages. So thinking about that ahead of time, I mean, obviously it depends on the size, but my 16 by 20 is not getting poured one bag at a time in one day. Yeah, that's a lot. It's impossible. Certainly not with one guy. 
And unless you've got a, a concrete, mi- you know, like one of these, rent one of those portable mixer, portable concrete mixers, but you're still going to have to have more people opening bags, manning the hose, troweling the stuff. I mean, you'd have to have a crew to get that done. <laughs> so thinking about that, if you were going to pour your own concrete and you were going to do it one bag at a time, that needs to be a smaller slab, in my opinion, to tackle that project as a weekend warrior and have it turn out good because you don't want to let part of it set up and then come back and add to it unless you have, you know, unless you have closed it off. Like you turn it into four sections and pour one section at a time. Well, that's something. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want to get in the middle of one big slab and then find out you can't finish it or don't have enough concrete <laughs> and then come back after it's set up and pour on top of it. That's not what you want. Run to par lumber for another pallet of concrete. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But, you know, if you're, but if you're going to frame it, if you're going to post and beam, put blocks in there, put wood framing in there and frame it up, that's something for me in my mind that, uh, that I can predict the outcome. I can handle the project and I can know that it's going to turn out good. I actually was very careful to make sure that I dug down the, the posts, the post bases the, the concrete blocks that I set my posts on. For your shed? Yeah. When I built my shed, I put those blocks down about nine inches. So that just to, almost to the flush to the top of the block. And then when I put the post in there and posted up to my beams, it dropped my building way down close to the ground. So I didn't have a big open space underneath my shed. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. However, you had recently had a situation with your shed that you built. 10 years ago, 15, I don't even know, a long time ago. You built that shed a long time ago. And when you converted it to a shop, you recently found out that part of it was sinking into the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we started using it as a storage shed, and we filled the back of it. Put shelves up in there, filled the back of it with storage stuff. And we put a lot of weight in the back of that. Well, the back half of my property was fill because I built on a hill. And I haven't done much back there. I have a little garden back there and a few things, but I hadn't done anything. I certainly had no idea that this amount of weight that was going to be on that was going to be sitting on part of the fill and would cause it to sink. So just the back half of my shed started to sink, which caused my floor to bow. And I did actually get in there and raise the back up so that now the shed is sitting level but the floor has still got a huge hump right in the middle, and it's really kind of a problem. I'm going to have to go back in there, tear that floor out, or at least tear it partially up, and fix that so that it's right. Man, that's a lot of work. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more Weekend Warriors and things to consider when building a shed. Don't go away. Listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today, we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. It's probably one of the most DIY Weekend Warrior type projects you can do. There's something we didn't talk about. We didn't actually address this uh, sort of, I think, elephant in the room. Do you see the elephant in the room? Sitting right in front of me. (laughs) Nice. I feel like that what we haven't talked about is 
why why it's dangerous, Corey, to go out to a place that sells pre-built sheds and just snatch one up that looks good. I mean, we, we talked about the door. We talked about the door. But there's so many other things. Is there money to be saved? This is the ultimate question. Is there money to be saved? And is the quality worth it to build your own shed the way you want to build it rather than go and buy a pre-built shed? Obviously, there's going to be some exceptions. But in your opinion, uh, what do you think? I'd say if you have the means to build your own shed, you will by far spend less money building your own shed than you would purchasing a pre-made shed. I mean, they have these sheds out there that are like tin. It's just yeah, like, a, it's yeah. like a, a really thin metal frame and tin siding. I think it's like a snap together kind of a thing. A little tin sliding door. Yeah. When you buy the box, it says must be 14 or older to assemble. <laughs> <laughs> My neighbor has one. Yeah. yeah those things are uh, probably the exception as far as value or expense, as far as what it costs to buy it and put it up. Well, it certainly depends on your skill set. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, packing hundreds of pounds of material and nailing things together and using saws. But again, this is the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. That's right. So if you're a Weekend Warrior looking to build your own shed, you absolutely should build your own shed. It's in a, my opinion. It is a great if you are a if you are a homeowner who really wants to be a weekend warrior, but you wouldn't necessarily give yourself that tag yet, this is a great project to get started. Uh, a shed project is a great place to start. I remember the very first shed that I built, and today I would think, oh man, I made terrible mistakes when I did that. But you know what? Uh, it still did what I needed it to do, and I loved it while it was there. And I've built several more since then, and they get better every time. Yeah, the first shed, the first larger shed I built, or I helped somebody build, uh, he he did not want to use a level, which is so weird. <laughs> I said, no, we have to use a level. He's like, nah, we don't need a level. This is a shed. Well, by the time you got to the roof, and none of the walls were perpendicular <laughs> and straight you know it was really difficult yeah. framing it i mean we hand cut a little shed roof on that thing but man it was so much more difficult without using that i mean he learned his lesson there yeah uh we ended up having to go get my level you know have a big plate level and we were able to square things up by doing what they call plumb and line where you you nail two by fours to the top plate and then you nail it down to the decking and you're able to pull the walls in. Anyway, we had to do that. It was kind of a pain, but yeah. when I built my own shed, it actually, it, it did turn out so much better than the first shed that I built. I'm really happy with it. Well, do you feel like that the last shed that you built was the best of all of them? Well, it was the last one that I built. So yeah, <laughs> that's what i'm saying yeah i mean you didn't regress right oh no 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 not at all you continued to get better you really challenged yourself with the last shed that you built as well i did a very I did. contemporary design and which ultimately you turned it into a recording studio yeah which uh is sitting in right now yeah, which is absolutely amazing and uh, i absolutely love it so anyways great work on that um but i i feel like i i know i know for a fact that i agree with you completely i feel like Anybody who is going to spend the money for a shed. I was driving down the street the other day. I was looking at some sheds uh, at some store on the side of the road. 
And I was astounded at what I was seeing. $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 yeah. for these tiny little buildings that they're calling sheds with doors that are not full height. You have to duck to get inside there. And uh, just very, wow. They, they spent the least amount of money possible building those. And then they're making too big of a margin. That's my opinion. You can buy those materials, folks, and you can build it yourself. And even if one of the walls is not level, you will have gained self-respect, a sense of accomplishment. You will, have, you will have done it, and you'll save money, and you did it the way you wanted to do it. Certainly. And you can paint it whatever color you want. That's my middle name. That's what I'm saying. So I just wanted to get that out. Before we move to the next section, I just wanted to get that out. Uh, so we yeah. all those people out there who sell pre-made sheds <laughs> hate me right now. <laughs> You'd be kidding. Hate me. Bomb threats. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we were talking about slab, pouring a concrete slab for the foundation, uh, piers and pad, you know, post and beam. Uh, the Another option is gravel. You know, you could, or if you're building a pole style building, a lot of those just have gravel tamped down with posts around the perimeter. That's another way to do it. You definitely want to use pressure-treated posts versus standard lumber. Pressure-treated posts are going to last quite a bit longer than standard non-pressure-treated lumber. Uh, so you may save a little bit of money, but you're going to regret it, especially if you want to keep it more than five years. <laughs> it's definitely more of an open-air sort of feel that you get with something like that. Um, but if that's what you're looking to do, uh, you know, if you're just uh, – if you're just parking a vehicle in there or, or you know, parking your, your quads like in there under or, it or underneath it, yeah, yeah or something yeah. like that. I mean, I've even seen instead of like a, a shed, you could do like an open air type thing where it's almost like a carport. Yeah. With three sides that don't touch the ground. Yeah. Um, that's not a bad way to do things, too. Yeah. Uh, I think here in the, in the Pacific Northwest or in the valley, uh, I definitely want to have four walls and a door that closes. Yeah. That's what so I want. So wet. Especially now because it's cold outside and I still like to be in my shop. Let's talk about framing lumber. Yeah. Lots of decisions to be made there. Uh, you're, we talk about green lumber versus dry lumber. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Uh, green lumber has a moisture content they of really high. You know, they, they cut the tree down. They actually keep the trees wet. Oh, yeah. Wet them down in yeah. the... In the lumber yard there. Keeps them from bowing, twisting, checking, cracking. Yeah, and the log deck, they wet them down. And then they cut them, and then they deliver them. They are wet, 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 yep. green. Yep. Uh, dry is much more popular now. T you know, five years ago, you could walk into any lumber yard and get green lumber. Right. It's very slim these days. So your chances of being able to spend a little bit less money on green is not really there because we're not stocking it, at least in the many areas that I know of. Right. Uh, so dry is typically your only option, which means that it has been dried, either in a kiln or air dried or something, below a moisture content of 19%. Right. Which is going to reduce your chances of getting mold. Uh, it's going to reduce twisting and checking after the fact. Uh, and it's a lot lighter. It's so much easier to work you gotta, with. you got to pack... Half a unit of studs to the back corner of your property, dry lumber is. It's not much as easier. easy to drive nails through. It's a little bit correct. It's a little more dense, uh, but apart from that, uh, it, it's good to work with. I I agree. But that's a, that's a, that decision is just about made for you. Yep. 
Uh, you also need to choose if you want to build it out of two by four or two by six walls. And to me, a shed, two by four walls, probably more than sufficient, even if you're insulating it, mm-hmm. since it's not a, you know, a building that you're living in, you don't need that insulation level typically again it's all up to you no i agree with you two by four versus two by six two by four is the way to go for a shed Uh, a pole pole barn style building Uh, if you're not familiar you're putting posts in the ground that go down four plus feet into the ground and then stick out of the ground however tall you want your pole building yep Uh, up to 20 feet i've seen 22 feet in the air and you put those every four to six feet around your perimeter and that's your, that's typically, you know, your framing. You're right there. You attach all your framing to those poles. So that's a pole building style, typically sided in metal, roofed in metal. We've all seen them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's uh, less expensive. Um, it's, I don't think it's less work. It's a different kind of work, but but it uh, it's a little less expensive, I think. Yeah, for a building that size. You know, if you're building a massive, you know, 100 foot by 50 foot, building it absolutely is less expensive yeah, than for framing sure. a traditional building uh when we're talking about the decking if after you have built if you've built a post and beam and you're have framed your floor and you're going to deck the floor um there's some options there i went with plywood uh, i didn't go with cdx i used a underlayment grade tongue and groove osb uh for mine um but some sort of a plywood standard exterior grade or cdx is the least expensive of them um and so you would probably want something that's three quarters of an inch or more i wouldn't use anything less than that for a walking surface uh not to mention you're gonna have heavy tools and things in there so three quarter inch probably is the the minimum well and it's certainly determined it's also determined on how far apart your spacing is if you're doing a post and beam and you're spacing your beams every four feet well, you can't use traditional decking. You would have to use probably car decking, two by six, or if you're even up to 32 inches on center. You could get down into the 16 inch on center, you could use three quarter, or 12 inches on center, you could use three quarter. So you could talk to your lumber person at your local par lumber and tell them what you're doing and figure out the best decking to use uh, for your situation. I would not, this is another one of those things. Even if you're on a budget, this is not the place to skimp. The floor of your building is not the place to skimp. Make sure that you make sure that you are covering the weight, the weight of you, the weight of anybody that's going to be in there with you and the weight of the tools that are sharing the floor with you. It's uh, you don't want a floor that deflects or is bouncy. Yeah. That's uh, that's not going to work for you. Well, like you're in your case, if you're rolling big, heavy tools, like a big lathe or something like that across that floor. I mean, if you're using inadequate decking. Yeah. You know, you could have a wheel pop right through the sure. floor. Yep, absolutely. You definitely don't want that. OK, so what about um, what about the roof? We've got we got the floor figured. We got the walls framed up. What are we putting on the roof? We we hand, we doing a hand cut roof or are we ordering trusses? Well, you know, that's that's entirely up to you. That's a choice to be made. Uh, Hand-cut roofs are, in my opinion, more difficult to frame, but they're quickly and readily available. You just buy the material and you frame it. So 
my, in my particular case, I built uh, what's called a shed roof. There's different types of roof lines. You know, you have a gable roof, a gambrel roof, which is that old kind of traditional, you know, three-sided roof per, you know, per side. It looks kind of old-fashioned. There's a hip roof, a shed roof. Uh, the shed roof is probably the easiest to frame. You frame one side of your building taller than the other, and then you put your roof rafters over it, and that's it, right? Yep. Um, if you're framing in a hip roof, a hand-cut hip roof or a hand-cut gable roof, it's a bit more complicated. You know, you have a ridge, you have your roof rafters. If you're doing a hip, then you're going to have jack rafters that are, you know, cut at angles. So it just depends on your skill level and what you're used to. So the one thing to keep in mind with trusses is you're paying a premium to get those trusses manufactured. Uh, and then you're getting you're paying a premium to have them delivered to you. And if your trusses are big enough, you're paying a premium to have them craned up onto your building. Yep. So the nice part about that is it's a solid roof and it's done. You put your trusses up, you block them, you sheet it, and it's good to go. And it's a very, very nice, you know, roof for that, for your building. But again, there can be four, five, six weeks of wait, of lead time on trusses. Yeah. And I mean, in a busy time, right? Which is what we've been in historically here for the last several years. Trusses have been no less than four weeks in my recent memory. So it makes keep that it, in mind. Yeah. It makes it easier in some respects, but honestly, um, there, it, there's a lot of, there are a lot of hoops to jump through if you're going that direction. Um, I actually used a, I used a joist rafter and ridge, ridge rafter beam. So I hand cut mine and, um, it worked out really good. You know, I, I posted up each end of the, of the ridge beam mm -hmm. and, and I braced it off and cut, cut my angles on my on roof my rafters, roof rafters and put them in there one at a time. Ding, 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 ding. And uh, bird bird's mouth cut the bottom to sit on top of the wall. Rock and roll. Nice. And you know what? It's not perfect either. Some of the cuts weren't, you know, just right. And it didn't fit really tight, but you know what? It turned out really good. And after it was sided and roofed, you can't even see it. Yeah. Again, it's Stru all about your skill level. Structurally sound, but uh, but I absolutely loved it. Nice. Uh, let's talk about roofing options. Mm. These are the things you need to consider. Metal, composition, polycarbonate. Uh, what I mean by polycarbonate is, you know, the, that uh, wavy type plastic roof. That's not a bad option if you're building a smaller shed and you need light inside. Because those polycarbonate roofs, you can see right through. So tons of light. Yeah, let's just really quickly clarify. You said plastic, but it's not. Well, it's polycarbonate. Right, polycarbonate is polycarbonate and not plastic. It's uh, it's very durable and and rigid. They do make plastic corrugated roofing, and you wouldn't want to use that for a permanent structure like that, in my opinion, because it, it will it will become brittle over time and just be a problem. Yeah, they make one made out of fiberglass, too. It's like a fiberglass that... And yeah, another one that would become brittle over... It does over become brittle years, over time. Yeah, over the, yeah, over many years. It Knowing does. what we know now, polycarbonate is a great way to go. It wasn't always available, but it but it is available now, and it is a good way to go. It's expensive, 
but it's a good way to go. And it's bulletproof. Bulletproof? I mean, I think it depends on how thick it is, but... Eighth-inch polycarbonate will stop a twenty-two. Wow. Yeah. Would you stand... Or in quarter-inch. F- would you quarter stand inch. in front of me with a quarter-inch piece of polycarbonate and let me shoot you with a would twenty-two? Would I? Yeah. No. Oh, you don't... But t- I know that it is. You don't trust it that much. Go- Google it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think uh, I put composition roof on mine. You put composition roof on yours. No, I you put not. a metal roof on yours. I put metal. And here's why. How do you love that? I love the metal roof. It can get noisy at times from even inside my house. I can hear the, the rain hitting my metal roof on my shed. But I chose that because of the particular pitch of my roof. The pitch is so shallow. I did like a 212. And comp roofing is, they tell you what the minimum is. And I can't tell you what it, it is. It is. A 312 is the minimum. Yeah, 312 is the minimum pitch. Anything shallower than that, you have a potential of leakage. So I didn't want that. I went with metal, which you can go down to a 212, no problem. And it has worked out perfectly for me. Yeah. And it's right under a tree. My shed is right under a tree, so it gets covered in pine needles constantly. So I got to get up there every every year, a couple of years, and broom those off. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you chose the right roof for your shed and it works absolutely great i on the other hand i roofed mine with composition shingles and uh, we had a storm um i don't know five or six years ago and i lost about 30 of those shingles wow and then we had a storm last year and i lost another 15 of those shingles so did you re-roof it yet i've had to have a guy go up there and patch it yeah Uh, already twice since since i built it but you know that happens. That's uh, that happens. It wasn't presidential roofing. It you know was just uh, twenty year stuff. Sure, sure. But uh... Uh, door, you can go with a pre hung door, which means you go buy a door with a jam. Uh, when you order doors, we've you know we have so many videos on our YouTube channel about this ordering doors. Uh, but you know you want to figure out the jam size: two by four wall, two by six wall. Um, a lot of times you can ask and see if they have a boneyard for a shed. Very common. That's a great thing to do to save some money. Ask your local lumber yard. You can ask Par Lumber. We have a boneyard where you can go in and sometimes swoop up a 3-0 door, fiberglass, metal, windows, lights, all kinds of different things, and uh, save yourself some money. Yep, you can get them on the, get them on the cheap. Another place to look. Habitat for Humanity Restore. Yeah, that's another. Very thing. commonly, yeah. you'll find uh, doors, boneyard doors over there that you could use. So that's, same that's, goes. It's a great tip. Same goes for windows and cabinets, and maybe even, uh, you know, benches, bench top, cab, base cabinets, wall cabs, uh, things that you might be putting inside workbench. of your. Yep, a workbench. Those are great ideas. Uh, let's talk about plywood versus OSB. So this is assuming that you're going to sheet the walls, and, and and then side it with some sort of a siding as opposed to using T111 and having a single wall construction. Yeah, so T111, which uh, you all kind of know. I mean, I'm I'm sure everybody has seen T111. It's plywood that has been rough sawn on one face, and then it has uh, slots milled in it, either four inches on center or eight inches on center. Or a reverse board and bat, which is 12 inches on center, and it's a wider gap. 
uh, that's also available. Uh, but it's 5 eighths thick. And with T111, true T111, you can do what's called single wall construction. You can frame your building and you can just sheet it with just that. Uh, if you use like OSB or CDX plywood, you would be, you would want to put siding, some sort of siding over that. Right. This is what I'm seeing. So you're making that choice. It's uh, less expensive if you're just doing single wall siding. So because of that reason, T111 is the more affordable option, whether it's plywood or wafer board, or whether it's plywood or, yeah, OSB. Because if you're going to use a siding, siding is less expensive, like lap siding, hardy, for example, um, even smart lap is less expensive. But when you combine that with that and the cost of subsheeting, now you're doubling down. It's less expensive to do single wall. Yeah, and it's more time consuming. So putting up your siding with the framing is, you know, I mean, it's super fast. Right. Uh, one thing to keep in mind when you're, you know, you, you, you probably heard this before, OSB versus plywood. Plywood is actual uh, pieces of, of veneer that is glued together and it's made out of wood. Well, OSB is made out of wood, but it's all it's been chipped up. And some people confuse OSB with MDF or particle board, which is completely different. Particle board is very small sawdust wood particle. Um, MDF is even smaller. It's like a flower, like a wood flower that's been glued together. So OSB has the, has the bigger chips. You see it in construction all day, every day. It really like wafers, like large wafers. Yeah, big, I think called a wafer board. Right. Uh, or oriented strand board is what it actually, OSB actually stands for. And if you go into any job site, you'll see it. And the reason you see it so much, and it got a bad rap for so many years because when it first came out, it swelled up. Uh, the glue, you know, it, it, it disintegrated. It would grow mushrooms because they didn't know. Well, over the years, they've made the resins better in it. And it just doesn't do that anymore. You can leave a sheet of OSB out in the rain for months. Yeah, it does. It does It'll have a ten swell. tendency to swell. Sure. Yeah, but it, but it's not doing a bunch of other weird things. Right. So it won't rot on you uh, as long as you sheet your building and put siding over it. You're gold. Yep, absolutely. So last thing we're going to talk about here is siding. Talked about T111, putting grooves on it. Uh, but there's lots of different options. Fiber cement, James Hardy, LP siding. Uh, LP has the same bad rap from years ago, but they've uh, they fixed that problem. Yep. And it's a fantastic siding. I have lots of builders that use LP lap, and T they also have a T111 patterned uh, panel, and it looks great. Yep, I agree. I went with Hardy on my building, and uh, you sided yours with uh, some cedar cedar lap on the, use, on, yeah, the cedar. on the front and but then you went with a, a an economical single wall construction on the back that's true and so you kind of did a best of both worlds kind of thing which is great because nobody sees the back it's up against the fence it was a very good choice very economical and uh, it worked out really good um so yeah whatever you choose you're going to be happy with it i feel like uh, and the best part about it is that it's your choice to make. Right. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here. On the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.